This is Digital Fluency, the only podcast where you are guaranteed to get smarter about the digital world or your money back. Digital Fluency is a special podcast series from the good folks at the Studio for Teaching and Learning Innovation. I'm your simply satisfactory and always charming host, Adam Barger, and I'm the instructor for the William & Mary course entitled Digital Fluency Footprints and Philosophies, which provides the content for this series. Every week we review what happened in class and discuss ways to apply these ideas to our lives. I'm joined by student producer extraordinaire, Jacob Hall. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing so well. How about you? I'm doing great because I see you in person. You're a real boy. <laughs> I, I do exist. I'm not just a, a pigment of the digital imagination. Yeah, yeah. As much as I love the digital world, uh, seeing you in person as opposed to a small box on my Zoom screen is wonderful. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. You know, I, I got to tell you, I got some, some feedback from our executive producer, Roy Peterson. He's listened to the first few episodes of Digital Fluency. Oh, what do you think? He likes it. He likes it. He had, he had uh, lots of good things to say about you. <laughs> well. He did have some good constructive criticism for me. <laughs> he said, uh, Adam, you are wise and charming and dashing, but you're a little too self-deprecating. You need to kind of cool, cool it on the self-deprecation humor. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, because I suck. Uh <laughs> Adam, you don't suck. <laughs> oh, I did it again. I, you know, I told him self-deprecation is kind of like a love language to me. Um, so I'm going to work on that. But like, that's my trademark, Jacob. That's that's my trademark approach. That's your trademark. What what does that mean? Can you trademark a personality? I totally think you can trademark a personality. I think in the digital world, you can trademark just about anything. Wow. So uh, you know, since it's trademarked, sorry, executive producer Roy Peterson, I don't know if I can change it. But lucky for us, that was the topic of our class this week. Uh, intellectual property and, you know, trademarks and just kind of the legal aspects of the digital world and what we need to know to be fluent in our legal understandings of digital. So, um, hmm, you seem like a creative person, Jacob. When you think about, you know, being creative and the laws that govern the digital world, what do you think about? Yeah, well, I have a blog of my own, uh, jacobhall.net, if you'd like to go check it out. jacobhall.net, jacobhall.net. Yes. (laughs) So as someone who writes content for my blog, I also code the the back end of the blog. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about what content is mine, how I want to license the content that I write. And also, I, I spend a lot of time making sure that if I am referencing something or using someone else's image or, you know, trademarked property, whatever it might be, that I am either giving them the appropriate credit or finding something else to use because I'm not allowed to put it in my blog. So why do you do that? Why not just, you know, stick it up there and see what happens? Well, part of it is just respect. Right. You know, I probably wouldn't get in trouble on my, you know, humble little blog for putting someone else's content there. But, you know, it is someone else's intellectual property and the ways that they want it to be used is something that I should respect in the same way that I wouldn't necessarily want someone just taking my content and putting it on on in their work. So beyond that, there are also licenses that I have to worry about. So. I do write most of the code for my site, but there are sometimes a library or some other source code that is mm-hmm. licensed in a specific way. And I need to make sure that I am using the code 
in a, in su- such that it is respecting the license that it was published under. Hmm. So, so what do you think about that? Do you think it's, you know, a good thing that you're you're following these practices, or is it kind of a burden? I would say it's both. I think it's mm-hmm. the right thing to do, and I am glad that I think about it a lot. Um, but it is definitely a burden, right? And it takes a lot of time and savvy to figure out what the license of something might be, to figure out what the respectful thing is to do in certain situations. Um, And it also sometimes just takes time to contact someone and say, hey, may I use this work that is yours, Mm -hmm. um, for example. So yeah, it it, it can be a big burden. Hmm, That's interesting. So I, I think that some of the ways you're approaching this are kind of built on you know, basic intellectual property and, and what you've learned probably in school and in practice mm. with, uh, you know, citing others. And, you know, those things kind of translate from the, the analog world. Um, so we kind of understand this idea of not taking other people's stuff. Right. Right. Um, but the world of Internet law, you know, our, our legal understandings, and I got to do the obligatory. I'm no lawyer. But, <laughs> I, I am not a lawyer either, right? <laughs> if that wasn't clear. Usually when someone says that, they're about to say something dumb. You know? <laughs> I'm no lawyer, but... But we only say smart things on this That's podcast. right. <laughs> so I'm no lawyer, but internet law, as I understand it, is really, it, it's gone beyond applying analog laws to the digital world. It's actually emerged into a whole new space over the last 25 years or so. Right. So, for example... Um, Internet laws are complex because there's no boundaries. They don't respect political borders, mm-hmm. right? So you can have a law in the United States. It might not apply in Canada or Mexico or China or anywhere else. And so, so internet laws are complex because it doesn't matter where you are when you're interacting in cyberspace in terms of what you can do for the most part. I mean, there are some restrictive pieces of, of certain countries. But mm-hmm. and the other interesting thing is, you know, uh, in our country, anyway, in the United States, we, we have lots of talk about privacy. You know, how does that, you know, encounter things like free speech? Right. What do companies have to do versus consumers? Uh, now that we all have the Internet in our pockets, um, you know, how does phone information relate to this? You know, so if you get caught uh, stealing a burrito um, and they want to look at your, your phone to see if you have other stolen stuff, you know, is that okay? You know, can they can law enforcement look at your phone, even, even if you're the crime you're accused of is just stealing a burrito? Um, <laughs> I, those those are, are questions that we're dealing with. You know, so internet law is kind of evolving uh, right. on the national and, and international scale. And you know, you said something interesting about your creative aspects. So, are you familiar with the Digital Millennial Copyright Act? Oh, a little too familiar, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um. From the perspective of a content creator, it is a, a system by which um, you know, whoever owns intellectual property, but it's often large companies that own media that has been published under their name, um, protects that content when it is published online. Um, so, for example, uh, a music video on YouTube. If, you were to, if I were to try to post someone's music video, but it was not my property then someone could file a complaint with YouTube and get it taken down under the digital, digital Millennium Copyright Act. That's right. Yeah, so this is actually a, you know, um, obviously it's a law, but this is also a mechanism for creators like you to kind of uh, protect what you create and, and um, force people to take things down, mm. and force companies. So this is a new mechanism. Another new piece might be like defamation 
you know, libel and slander, saying or printing false things. Well, that looks different online because, you know, um, are you allowed to say, like for on, on Twitter, like Adam Barger is not a handsome person? That's like <laughs> a false statement. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, think I would be allowed to do so. That. But like, is that just your opinion since it's Twitter or is Twitter like a publisher? And I know that like Gen D doesn't use Twitter. That's a that's a bad example. But, um, <laughs> you know, so so the idea of saying opinions that might be perceived as facts that are false, you know, that looks different than in the newspaper days. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it can look so different on every single internet platform that it's even hard to define at a small scale. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think it's been even more interesting because where I might be a Twitter and Facebooker, you're probably an Instagram and TikToker. So, (laughs) so like, can you even apply kind of the standards of these platforms against each other? You know, I, I don't think so because they're so different. Right. And they all have different terms of service. They all have different types of media that they are publishing and they have different user bases that probably have different ideas as to what the, the standards or the, you know, what should be done in the first place. So it, yeah, it can really depend on, on what you are posting and where and who's looking at it. Yeah. And, and don't even get me started on terms of service. We forgot to kind of put that in our show notes, but that's, you know, that's something we could circle back to because that's a whole nother area of legalese. You know, is it appropriate for a phone, for example, phone company, Apple or whatever, to have a terms of service that's, you know, 40, 50, 60 pages long, mm, Yeah, knowing full well that users won't read it? You know, like, right. is that right? Is that okay? Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I don't even know. I think that like, for to some extent, it's a necessary evil, right? Like these companies do need to like sort of protect themselves in order to exist. And so they have to have these like very specific rules that their users like must abide by. But yeah, from the user's perspective, it can feel like this weird black box that you don't even know what the rules might be. If if I post a photo to Instagram, they have the rights to keep it on their website, to up. I think they can advertise with it, but I, I don't know where the line is. I don't know what I should be upset by if they like cross the line. Right, because they're, they're moving a line from time to time. So um, maybe we'll put in the show notes. There's a great TED talk from, I think he's a, a Dutch researcher. Um, and he, he did an experiment where they, they read through, they had educated people read through the terms and conditions of mm-hmm. a typical phone. Uh, and they filmed it and they timed it. And they had, so they, they had different people come in and read uh, because it was very tiring and you couldn't read that long. Mm-hmm. So I think they had like 10 or 12 people part of the experiment. And it took over 30 hours. Wow. So like 30 hours, that's like all the Harry Potter movies combined. That's a long time, <laughs> you know. So um, it's interesting to see the ins and outs of the terms and conditions. And so I'll make sure we have that link for the show notes. But, you know, it, you know, a, a related idea, um, you know, that personal data and kind of the services you expect that might be private. Right. Um, you know, you have to know if they really are private. Like you mentioned Insta, like it's, is what you put on there private to you and your friends. Um, these are aspects of digital privacy that are constantly changing. Right. And the, just, just what might be able to be accessed by 
someone who works for that internet company or could a, can a court order that that data how protected is that data it, it can feel like some an like a question that really couldn't be answered by a user that's right and and then it goes from there and we get into hacking and cyber crimes and data right. breaches and id theft and ah you know it just makes me want to just go analog all the way but we're not going <laughs> to do that we're, we're going to instead we're going to look at a couple of case studies that we'll discuss and then we'll we'll come up with some some tips for folks here. Sounds good. So, um, so one I want to discuss with you is, uh, something that students may encounter, you know, uh, maybe not here at William and Mary, but other places. And that's this idea of, uh, how, what you represent as your intellectual property. Mm. And so the question I started out with in class is this is mm. Jacob, do you own yourself? Do I own myself? Like as a physical body, I think, I think I do. Okay. I think that I have like soul, like I, I am the decision maker when it comes to what happens to my body. If someone were to want to, I don't know, perform surgery on me, like I am the person who would have to, to write out, like, you know, sign Get that, that box. And, exactly. Yeah. So okay. I think f from a very physical perspective, yes. Um, and I do know that like, if I were to write something, that thing that I wrote is, vaguely copyrighted to me so mm -hmm. the things that i like directly create in like one <laughs> one degree of separation from me um could be seen as mine but it is hard to define what that yeah really I, means. and i tend to agree with you I, I think that that's an important aspect of uh, property rights or or even just foundation foundational natural rights that i own myself right and it follows that i own the stuff that comes from me you know, my intellectual property. So we, we can agree on that. So then we ask, okay, um, do you own your Nalgene bottle? <laughs> well, I paid for it and I've been carrying it around for, with me for uh, quite a few years now. Mm -hmm. So I would say that I own my Nalgene. Okay. All right. So I agree. Um, you, you own the stuff you pay for. So <laughs> let's take these ideas and apply it to a case study that is in, in academics and, and education. Unfortunately, and that is the idea of the paper writing service. And I'll give you an example. There's one called EduBirdie, mm -hmm. E-D-U, Birdie. And EduBirdie, um, they build themselves as the professional essay writing service for students who can't even, which I think that's some like Gen Z humor. I don't quite get that. But <laughs> the professional essay writing service for students who can't even. <laughs> and, you know, you get to choose your writer and you pay per page. Uh -huh. And they have a custom written paper that's guaranteed to pass plagiarism checkers. And so I, as a, an instructor, as a faculty member, would look at this and say, whoa, that's plagiarism because they're taking someone else's writing. But then the question is, if a student were to pay Edgerberti to write a paper, are they really taking someone else's writing or are they just using their own property how they might want to use it? Wow. Yeah, I... <laughs> You've never done this, Jacob. It's no, a, I, I've never heard of Edgy Birdie before. I, the first thing that pops into my mind is like, wow, I would never do that. That just feels so wrong because to, to turn something in in my classes that I didn't actually create myself feels academically dishonest, right? Like it feels mm -hmm. against not just the, the honor code at William & Mary, but just my own sense of of. I don't know what is right or wrong. Yeah, your own morals, exactly. ethics maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but but then on the other hand, like it does make sense that if someone were to give you 
their intellectual property, sign off all of the rights and say, okay, this is yours now, that you would be, you can turn that in. Like, I don't, I, from a legal perspective, I guess that does make sense. I, it's, right. it's confusing. But, but it, it's, you know, and, and this is why the next step in the class, you know, for future podcasts is we get into morals and ethics. You know, some things in the digital world are legally right, or I'm sorry, legally um, okay. They are legal, but that doesn't make them morally good. Right. or ethically advisable, right? So mm. I agree with you to, to turn in a paper you didn't write is dishonest, but legally it's okay, which is why Edgy Birdie can operate out in the open and say, hey, we're, we're, you know, we're just a service. People buy papers from us. And, and they do say that, like, hey, we're just coaching students. Um, and, uh, you know, we actually had a professor uh, go on their website and talk to their chat person and ask them questions like, hey, uh, I have a really complex paper to write. It's important that it doesn't get ch- uh, caught by plagiarism checkers. Mm-hmm. Can you do that? And the chat person says, yes, we can do that. Mm-hmm. And then he says, okay, well, um, that's great, but I, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm applying for government jobs, and I want to make sure in a background check this wouldn't be, you know, come up as something that's unethical or unwise. And they said, oh, no, don't worry about that. Right. You know, so they're definitely doubling down on this idea of we're going to help you get around the tools. You right. Know, so. So I think that case study is a really good application because it's not your your intellectual property and it's not your water bottle. It's something else, but it's being sold as essentially a water bottle that you choose mm-hmm. what to do with it. I think what makes it so just crazy to me is how maybe the word is brazen it feels, right? Like, I don't know, if, if I had just money to burn and I could get a private tutor for all of my classes and sit down with them and I don't know, have them write my papers. Like, I guess that's already something that I could do. But to just have a website where it's like, okay, here's the price for per page of a paper that we will write for you. It just feels so like, it, it feels efficient in the wrong, in like the wrong way. I don't know. It, it's, it's so strange. Yeah, it is. And, and unfortunately, that might be more the norm. So mm. that's an interesting case. I got one more for you. And this is a case called uh, the right to be forgotten, and this mm. comes out of the EU, I believe. Yeah, um, I've heard of this and one. yeah, this is an interesting one, and I don't have all the details in front of me, so this is kind of a a summary from memory. But essentially, it was uh, a person in the EU, I think Spain, who uh, realized that when his name was Googled, the search results that were indexed were things he didn't want others to know. Right. And I can't remember if it was like a previous job or, I don't know, like a police report. I don't remember. But mm-hmm. the idea is the, the top hits in Google about him, he didn't like. <laughs> so the case was, does he have the right to ask Google to de-index those things so he can digitally be forgotten? Right. So does that sound about right in terms of what you've heard about it? Yeah, I, I think so. Like the, the idea that, you know, you can have records expunged, but like in a in a digital sense, you know, records that other companies might be holding, like Google in their search results, you know, they they hold that like sort of cache, I guess you'd call it, of like all the results they might give you. Like, can I say, no, I want to be forgotten. Like, please take me out of your results. Right. And then you get into like layers of that. So like adults versus minors. Right. Like right. if I found something of, about one of my kids, being indexed with Google. Like I want that taken down right away. Mm-hmm. And then what about things like 
if the picture, say it's a picture, but it was taken with permission at one point, but later you want to revoke that permission. Mm, yeah. Is there a mechanism for that? And so you can imagine Google, you know, whether you like the Google or don't like the Google, Google's in a tight spot here because I think they, they give the impression they want to respect people's privacy to a certain extent. They want to respect people's natural rights. Right. But if they were constantly responding to uh, de-indexing requests, that would be all they do. Right. All the time. So they fought this. Uh, they lost, as far as I can tell, in the EU. Mm-hmm. So they do have to have a mechanism to, to let people be digitally forgotten. In the U.S., they at this point, they, they're still winning. They're, that's not been something as a country that we've taken up. Yeah, yeah. That's just so interesting to me because I just, <laughs> I don't even know how you could, like, begin erasing your record from the internet, right? Like once you are indexed by Google and all these other search engines, you know, people might have linked to content or like, I don't know, there's there's so news articles about you. There would be so many different entities that you would have to contact about like forgetting you that, yeah, it just it just sounds like crazy to me. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I don't know the answer either. In some ways, you one of my students said, well, you kind of inherently give consent when you post something mm. like th- you have to know that's going to happen. But what if you don't post something? And, and I can't remember if I shared in this podcast before or not, but I have a pretty good theory that Facebook made me lose my school board election. Mm. So, like, I ran for school board, and anytime somebody um, searched me, they got this other Adam Barger who had, like, 12 different Facebook profiles with all these weird pictures. Mm. And I'm not on Facebook. I tried to get back on it, and I couldn't. And I think it's because of the all these fake profiles. Yeah. And so they would put in Adam Barger School Board and get this, you know, strange picture <laughs> from, from Facebook. So uh, I'm not even consenting to anything. I'm not even on Facebook, but they're affecting my life, you know. So yeah. there, there's aspects of being forgotten um, that might apply to those who aren't even kind of in the field, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that makes so much sense. And that's <laughs> that's just such a can of worms. I don't even know where you could start with that. And I, it does feel like an admission sort of legally that there are complications to having so much data online and having so many companies holding these, these records of who we are and what we've posted in the past. Um, and I, I think that's something that we will have to continue to investigate as a society. Absolutely. And I don't have all the answers here, but, you know, it is time to give our kind of three lessons, three takeaways, three applications. Sounds good. So let's do that. And, um, you know, we're going to hopefully these these will be coherent because this is a really hard one. So I think the first one is around those terms and conditions. So when you're thinking about legal understandings of digital fluency, Mm -hmm. you have to be aware of kind of regulations and things like that. But those terms and conditions are important. Um, And so some basic... (laughs) <laughs> some basic Googling on terms and conditions, uh, you know, red flags or cautionary tales uh, can help you do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to read 30 hours of terms and conditions. <laughs> what? No. For each and every web web service that you use? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, I'm not that nerdy. I'm pretty nerdy. But <laughs> what I could do is probably consult the interwebs and find out what kind of cautionary flags are on those terms and conditions, whether it be Apple or Twitter or whatever. So right. that's kind of tip number one is, is leverage the tools on the internet to 
to translate those terms and conditions. So may I recommend a website for anyone listening? Um, yes. It's called TOSDR.org. So that's terms of service didn't read.org. Um, and it is attempting to be a short synopsis of the takeaway points from each of the big terms of service. So they try to keep it up to date. Um, and it's basically just a quick, you know, abstract basically for every big company's terms of service. Um, and then I think they also sort of grade the terms of service based on like some metrics that they have. So if that's something that interests you, I don't, I think if you go to their website, they'll probably also say we are not lawyers. We're just trying to help you with this. Um, but it might be a good starting place to just get a feel for if this company aligns with your own beliefs when it comes to digital privacy and freedom. So yeah, TOSDR.org. I I do recommend it. Awesome. And, And let's put that in the notes too, because I think that's, I haven't been there and I want to check that out. So, um, that's step number one. You know, be aware of terms and conditions and, and do a little research on them. Step number mm-hmm. two or application number two, we really need to figure out what we're calling these. Applications, tips. <laughs> takeaways. Action steps. Takeaways. Let's do takeaways. Actionables. So takeaway two um, is to own your digital footprint. Mm. And, and, you know, this is in the title of the course, you know, Digital Fluency Footprints and Philosophies. The reason that's there is because your digital footprint is being imprinted whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. It is not an option for most of us to not have a digital footprint, but it is an option to own that, take control of it, be aware of what's posted about you Yes, and be aware of how to take it down. So Jacob, if you're doing a really cool creative project for a class, mm-hmm. it's a podcast, it's a webpage, whatever it is, you own that. And so when that class is over, you're the one responsible to either take it down, move it, keep it up, whatever. You got to own that footprint. And that just takes some good old-fashioned organization and awareness of where you're putting your content. Absolutely. And that is something that, like, you know, even if you have a checkered history of maybe posting too much or posting things that you'd rather have taken down at this point, like, it's something that it it would not hurt to just start now and say, okay, from here on out, you know, I'm going to start posting a little bit more mindfully things that I am okay with being on the Internet in perpetuity. Um, as well as going back through those records, things that you may have put out in the internet. I know as someone who, you know, went to middle school in the 2010s, that a lot of our assignments were online. And a lot of the work that I did as like an 11 year old is still out in the internet. I mean, hopefully not making too big of a splash, but actually I read a bunch of that this morning. Nice job on that solar system project. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. But well, you know, it's something that like people my age really need to think about now, right? Like I'm 21. And at this point I already have a full decade worth of record on the, on the internet of like who I am, what I have looked as research studied. I don't know anything. Um, and so, yeah, it, it probably for any of our listeners be a good idea to just maybe go take a look, Google yourself and, and just see what might be out there. Yeah, because I don't think your teachers in 2010, and, that, and that's my field, digital teaching and learning, I, I can say for a fact those teachers weren't thinking about your footprint long term. I don't think they were. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just it's something that has changed so quickly. And it's yeah, it, it's something that we need to think about more now than ever. So that's that's great a great illustration, and it leads into perfectly to takeaway number three, which is choose your applications wisely. Mm. Choose your applications wisely. Yeah. Um, and it kind of relates to point one, you know, know the terms and conditions. But 
you can do some basic reading and figure out what companies really prize digital privacy mm-hmm. and what companies don't. Right. And so Apple has a pretty good reputation for prizing digital privacy and they have, you can control a lot of the things on your phone. Yes. Um, Apple know. is, is very good, but they are also taking a stance. And so if mm-hmm. that's something that interests you, like getting an idea of what like, like advocacy work they are doing might help you understand sort of from a political perspective, what you're going for. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then there's like, like Facebook who might be on the other side, well known for intentionally not respecting privacy. You could look at Cambridge Analytica, you could look at the data breaches, you can look at all the things they've done from Facebook Pixel, which is that coding piece that reports back to Facebook what you're looking at. And um, they're well known for having, from my perspective, I'm no lawyer, but from my perspective, just um, no limits on on what they would do to, to invade your privacy. Right. I'm not a huge fan of Facebook either, um, but I would say that Facebook has been under the spotlight for this for a long time now, and their privacy settings are becoming a bit more well-defined. That's um, good. So if, if Facebook feels like something you can't let go of, I would highly recommend going into the privacy settings. They pretty well lay out what your rights are and what you can and cannot turn off. So that would be a good place to start, you know, even if yep. you're not ready to let go of Facebook entirely. Yeah, yeah. Choose wisely, and, and then if you are on there, you can do that. And I've also heard of, of, of folks your age um, and others really just saying, you know what, this is a kind of a private profile and this is a public profile, and, and mm. you might be interested in having kind of a, a pseudonym or, or a pen name that has a profile. So there's other creative ways to get around that one. But that, that third takeaway is really important is to is choose wisely. Absolutely. Know who you're getting in business with. Definitely. Well, I tell you what, Jacob, I feel smarter already. Do you? <laughs> so much smarter than I was. <laughs> the I answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks again for your time, and I look forward to, to seeing you next time on Digital Fluency. Absolutely. Take care, Adam. Take care.